0: week on Myths and Legends. It's the origin of Shakespeare's Hamlet, and we'll see that the Bard's best work is inspired by a medieval saga with way more poop smearing than you would think. The creature this time is, well, super sad Big Bird. This is Myths and Legends, episode 215, Madness. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. As I said at the top of the episode, today is the inspiration for the inspiration for Shakespeare's Hamlet. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. But for some background, today's story comes from a 13th century Danish writer, and it's set in the late 7th century, early 8th century, so after King Arthur, but just before the Viking Age. It doesn't really matter though, because it mainly sticks to some legendary kings and doesn't really try to tie itself to history. We'll jump in with Amleth, who, yes, is technically an anagram for Hamlet, but more specifically, is Hamlet, with the H at the end of the name, instead of the beginning. Anyway, like the play starts, we'll pick up with Amleth getting some very bad news. Was it ear poison? Amleth asked about the death of his father. Ear po- Where do you get the idea of ear poison? I just said your dad is dead and your uncle killed him. What even is ear poison? The messenger from the royal court asked. You're asking a lot of questions about ear poison that are pretty much answered by the phrase ear poison, Amleth, the prince of Denmark, clarified. The messenger nodded, true enough, but no, it wasn't ear poison. Fang the king's brother, just stabbed him a bunch of times. Amleth nodded thoughtfully and asked what his mother, the queen, thought about all of this. The messenger replied that "Eh, she seemed to be taking it well. Already apparently moved on, too. She married Feng, the uncle, and the guy who killed Amleth's father. Amleth said he needed to go to the bathroom. Did the messenger mind? The messenger said no, and... Also, the notoriously moody prince was really taking all of this very well. Also, Amleth was kind of next in line for the throne. Kind of didn't bode well for him, though, since the last guy died bleeding out on the floor. Didn't Amleth say he was going to use the bathroom? Amleth nodded as he squatted on the floor. Mm Mm-hmm. The messenger said that he was asked to escort Amleth to the palace to talk about succession. The messenger then grimaced, at the smell as Amleth grunted. Oh, we don't need to worry about that. There's not going to be some big succession fight, Amleth said. I'm crazy. I'm mad now, he said, scooping up a big old handful of his own waist and smearing it on his face and silk shirt. So distraught. Uh, Daddy, why? He held out a hand, and the messenger reluctantly helped him up. All right, Amleth said, rising to his feet. Let's go see the new king. You guys ever think that Amleth maybe isn't crazy, and is just doing that so I don't suspect that he's plotting against me because I killed his father and married his mother? King Feng asked. Yeah, sometimes he just seems like a lazy teen who, I guess, takes a few too few bathroom breaks. One of King Feng's courtiers agreed. They looked over to see Amleth walking along the table at the feast, like a house cat, dragging his hands to make sure every last plate and goblet hit the floor, while drinking wine straight from the bottle, all without pants. Yeah, no, he's crazy, the courtier said. Feng, though, Feng thought that it was all a ruse. If Amleth was willing to do all of this, he might one day rise up against Feng, like a snake in the grass. Fang had to be sure, He had to get... Her. He called a young woman in, Amleth's childhood friend who was not named Ophelia, and she was confused. Her old friend Amleth, who... Yeah, had taken a turn lately. Fang wanted her to go in the woods and... Try to seduce Amleth there? And this would prove... What, exactly? Fang said that it would show Amleth wasn't crazy... All man's natural temper is too blindly amorous to be artfully dissembled. This sort of passion being too impetuous to be checked by cunning. The woman stood there. Basically, he'll see you turn into one of those cartoon wolves with the bulging eyes and forget that he's supposed to be insane right now. The king clarified. The young woman nodded. You know what? Sure. Anything to help her old friend. The king swallowed hard. Yes. Help him. I'm a knight, look how knightly I am, Amleth said, as he held the horse's tail like reins, riding it backwards as the horse galloped. You know, for being crazy, he's really lucky. That's actually pretty difficult to do, one of Feng's courtiers said. The king rolled his eyes. That was the point of this whole trip. staying character. The hunting party, slash trap, continued on, with Amleth basically being a fool for their entertainment. They found a ship that had been wrecked on the beach, with just the rudder remaining, and Amleth yelled out that they found the right knife to carve such a huge ham. I know I've said this in the past, but the bar for comedy was pretty low in the Middle Ages, and the joke landed, but we're also told by the narrator that this comment was very witty because the rudder was like a knife and the sea was a massive ham. It was about as wise as it was funny. Amleth felt a tap on his shoulder as he was stooped over a dead deer in the forest. The prince turned. It was his foster brother, a man who had been raised in the same house as him. The foster brother met Amleth's far off gaze and said, uh, he could see Amleth wasn't doing well after the death of his dad, but in the event that he was doing well, and for some reason was just faking it, laying around the palace and smearing human waste on his clothes and hair every morning, well, King Feng, his uncle, thought that he was faking it. He devised a trap for him to drop his guard. If Amleth found a beautiful woman waiting in the forest that wanted to be with him, then and there, no questions asked, I mean, that was suspicious in and of itself, but the foster brother didn't want Amleth to miss an opportunity. So here's the deal. If all the king's horses and all the king's men were gathered around Amleth and some woman to watch, you know, the foster brother would warn him with a piece of straw tied to a gadfly. Amleth blinked and finished putting the decomposing hooves in his pack. Did did you get any of that? The foster brother asked Amleth. He grimaced. Amleth was eating sand. Cool. The foster brother shook his head when Amleth held out a handful of sand offering his foster brother a bite. When Amleth saw this, he shrugged and shoved it in his own mouth. She had been raised in the castle, alongside Amleth. The two had grown up as friends, until their teen years when they began to feel differently about each other. The affairs of state took Amleth away, and by the time he was home, his father was dead. They never had the chance to see if anything was there. Until now. Despite living in the same city, she was, of course, choosing to surprise him in the forest, to express her love for him. Amleth gave her the same blank stare he gave everyone. It was like he was looking through her. In fact, he was. He was looking past her, to the gadfly that just buzzed into the clearing, with a piece of straw secured to its abdomen. Amleth felt the pack by his side, all the things he collected in the forest, a rooster's head and four rotting hooves. Then he focused on her. Amleth is... everything okay? She said, as the prince smiled and charged. Where did he go? Feng yelled, as he emerged into the clearing, before anyone had the chance to move. Amleth had scooped up the young woman and carried her off deeper into the forest. When the soldiers gave chase, they found a half dozen trails branching off into countless paths. Amleth and the young woman were gone. A couple hours later, Amleth and the young woman laid together in an impenetrable fen, using his pack as a pillow. She embraced him. She knew it was all a farce. I'm dead too, if Feng discovers it. Amleth said, staring up at the blue sky, just like my father. She held him close. Let's say he had washed himself in a nearby stream before, and she said that she only agreed to this, to be close to him. His secret was safe with her. (laughs) So, you and this young woman, huh? The men asked when he returned to camp. Amleth remained silent. The men jeered, looking at each other. Now, they were going to ask the question that every guy wanted to know after his buddy, you know. What did they use as a pillow? The other guys bit their lips and listened close. Oh, yeah. This was getting good. Was it Egyptian cotton? Linen? Oh, silk? Amleth sat up straight and cocked an eyebrow. He said he did indeed spend an evening with the woman and that their pillow was the hooves of beasts of burden and a coxcomb, the little thing on top of a rooster's head. Amleth continued saying that they enjoyed each other's company after a fly carrying a straw buzzed by his head. The men sat back, their literal pillow talk having gone nowhere. They rolled their eyes. Nothing happened, guys. Also, Amleth, You can lie about the women you're with, but don't you dare lie to us about the pillows you sleep on. That stuff is serious, man. Got these guys all excited. The soldiers crossed their arms and left the tent. Of note, the men in the story were very interested in what type of pillow Amleth and the young woman used. And I guess it was important for Amleth to tell the truth, because he actually didn't lie. Maybe it's a morally gray area, I don't know but I personally kind of think it's okay to lie to people who are trying to kill you. King Feng met with the young woman when he returned to the city, and she said that she finally made it home after Amleth am-left her in the forest. She picked her way out a day later with twigs in her hair and her dress ruined. There was no doubt about it. Amleth was crazy. Amleth was with his mother, doing his usual Tuesday morning thing, pretending to be a rooster. King Feng was away on a long trip, and Amleth strutted around the palace, arms flapping at his side, going from room to room. He was in the adjacent room to his mother's when he jumped on the bed, stuffed with straw. He stood atop the mattress, shifting, feeling more lumps than usual. He knelt down, pecking at it and heard, with each shifting of movement, a slight grunt. Amleth strutted from room to room, and went back to the one with his mom, where he grabbed the sword from the wall. He didn't get her attention, until, standing atop the mattress, he started stabbing downwards, screaming himself. The mother got up, looked at what he was doing, and said that she was going out. She would let the servants clean up, whatever this was. When she was gone, Amleth went and barred the door, took a dagger, and cut open the mattress. Inside, the king's spy, who was looking to see if Amleth dropped his act around his mother, laid in blood and hay, a look of shock forever on his face. "'What you got there, Amleth?' the palace guard asked the young prince, who was whistling and carrying a big sack while he walked out to the sewers. "'Big old sack of human remains,' Amleth beamed. "'I'm gonna go feed the pigs.' "'You do that, bud,' the palace guard said with a wink. When Amleth passed, the guard's smile faded when he shook his head. "'Poor kid.' I chopped up and boiled a human, now I'm gonna feed him to pigs, Amleth sang as he walked. The people barely noticed the song or sack full of meat, just that Amleth wasn't covered in filth. They were so proud. You get a finger, you get a finger, everybody gets up. Oh, wait, no, sorry, only eight more pigs get a finger, sorry guys, Amleth said to the pigs in the sewer, as he tossed the remains of the eavesdropper. When he returned home, whistling, he found his mother sitting by the bed he had just cut open, the blood and feathers left for her to find. She stood. What happened here? What had he done? He looked his mother in the eyes. He said he did what he had to do for his father. His uncle had murdered the former king. Now he was coming for Amleth, too. We can't all marry him. The mother swallowed hard. That was surprisingly lucid for her son. He stepped closer. He had a lot to say. He called his mother a harlot, asking how she could share the bed with the man who shed his father's blood, who also wanted to shed Amleth's blood. They called him mad. But how crazy was his mother to marry the man who killed her husband? But make no mistake, Amleth was waiting. The passion to avenge his father still burned in his heart, and he was watching for his chance. The hour would be there soon when the time came, would she stand in his way? His mother gritted her teeth and then broke down sobbing. She was so glad he was okay. I mean, uh, filled with an unquenchable murderous rage, but I guess okay. She said she had been so scared. She felt so alone. With him gone, then mad, and everyone in the court turning to support the murderer, she didn't feel like she had another choice. But now that they were two, they would be strong together. What did he need her to do? He smiled. Weave. She was confused. Weave. Amleth nodded. Yep, weave a big tapestry, showing her love for her son. Make sure it hangs in the great hall. That was the key to their revenge. See what Amleth's master plan is, but that will be right after this. The boat to Britain rocked on the waves. Amleth heard the snores begin to start, and his eyes shot open. He slid down from his hammock and slunk across to the two retainers who were not named Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, the flap of their leather pouch flopped open, and Amleth slid a flat piece of wood out of the pack, glancing up at the two men. He smiled as he read. When King Feng returned, he had asked about his courtier, a man who had not been known as Polonius, but no one had seen him for weeks. He asked Amleth in jest, but the youth only laughed back that not Polonius must have slipped through the sewer grating and been devoured by the swine down there. King Feng couldn't parse out this truly inscrutable mystery because people not cut into pieces couldn't just slip through grates and never found out what happened to his servant. Finally, he just decided to have Amleth killed. Don't know why he didn't do that to start with. Not like he was shy about killing family members. Still, it might make for too many problems if he just straight up murdered his nephew after killing his own brother and marrying the man's wife. So, he gave two of his attendants a message carved into wood to deliver to an allied king in Britain asking him to execute the young man he was sending this was the same message that Amleth was now reading he took out his knife a week or so later the two attendants stood before the king who looked to them back to the wooden message then back to them and they wanted him to follow this the two men nodded to the letter it had the seal of the king of Denmark didn't it The king agreed but they knew what was on this and they still wanted him to do it. The two attendants, again, nodded. Yeah, why was this so confusing? The king shrugged. All right, whatever. He waved to the guards telling them to arrest these two young men and take them to the dungeons to await their execution. He looked at the two men who were shouting in protest and shrugged. Sorry guys, no takesies-backsies. That night, at dinner, the king noticed something about the only remaining guest from Denmark. The man sat calmly at the feast in the great hall, but he would only sample the food and drink, grimace, and then sit there without eating. The king, annoyed that he might have to execute more Danes, had a servant sit with his ear to the door that night. While Amleth explained to his attendants why he treated the dinner like it was poison, Amleth explained that the bread was flecked with blood and tainted, that there was a tang of iron in the liquor, and that the meats reeked of human remains, a smell he kind of knew really well. Furthermore, the king has the eyes of a slave, and the queen showed the behavior of a bondsmaid. The men looked at him, and broke out laughing. Crazy old Amleth was at it again. The king recoiled at the words, but before he reacted, he called his baker in. Hey, would it be possible that our bread has the taste of, quote, human carnage. The baker said that, you know, now that the king had said something, that did ring a bell. Turns out the baker was able to get a field in which to sow his wheat super cheap, because it just had a few dead bodies in it. A few? The king asked for clarification. Few hundred, maybe a thousand-ish? Few thousand? It was an old battlefield. But the wheat didn't care, I thought the bodies in the battlefield there might have been good for it, the baker trailed off. It wasn't. The bread has, quote, an evil savor to it, the king said, and dismissed the baker. After that, he thought there might be something to this kid, Amleth. So the king brought in another attendant to find out the source of the lard and meat. And he learned that the pigs had strayed from their sty, and that the farmer had found them munching on the rotten carcass of a robber he guessed that had given the pork something of a corrupt smack. The mead was doubly corrupt because people just tossed their old swords and weapons down a well from which the brewer drew the water, giving it a metallic tang. The honey had been coming from a bee's hive where the bees had been feeding on a dead man. The king, who not only needed to get a handle on his personal supply chain, but basic public sanitation, I mean, how many of these problems could have been solved if there weren't just bodies lying around everywhere, began to worry. If Amleth was right about that, what else was he right about? The king confronted his own mother. She held up her palms and retreated. She said that she had submitted to no man but the king. The king, her son, cocked his head, weird phrase to use for a loving, consensual marriage, but he had reason to believe differently. He asked her to tell him about the enslaved man his mother broke down. It turns out the queen mother had been in love once, just not with the late king. Turns out when one party is literally enslaved by the other after being captured in a faraway land, as the queen had been, doesn't lead to a happy union. The king understood and told her to keep it to herself because that meant that he wasn't the legitimate king of England and went to go talk to his wife, whose mother had been a bondsmaid After a night's worth of pretty world-rocking revelations, he finally went to visit Amleth. Yeah, you're not crazy, the king said. Amleth started spouting off his normal gibberish, but the king held up a hand. That was a statement. The Prince of Denmark wasn't crazy. Amleth was quieted. The king produced the wooden tablet that had carried the instructions to execute the two attendants he said that he was going to honor the king of Denmark's other request as well, the one where the king had asked for his stepson, Amleth, to marry the daughter of the king of Britain. And that's what he did. Amleth and the princess of Britain were married. Because Amleth was super smart, and not because he had inadvertently blackmailed the king with his knowledge of his own illegitimacy. The king of Britain then executed the two Danish men who had arrived with Amleth, But this pretty immediately created a strife between him and his new son-in-law. Amleth said that those were his countrymen, his friends. He demanded a guild, a man price, basically gold as compensation for their untimely deaths. In order to smooth everything over, the king gave Amleth two sacks of gold, which the prince of Denmark had melted down and poured inside some hollow sticks. Almost a year. Seriously. No news from Britain, King Feng asked. His attendant was going through the mail. Bill, bill, junk. Oh, here. It was from the King of Britain. King Feng held out his hand. Ooh, gimme, gimme, gimme. He snatched and tore it open. The executions went off without a hitch and my daughter has been wed, Feng read. Nice. All right, he's dead. Is it weird that he wrote executions, plural, Ah, anyway, there's a language barrier. Don't know why he thinks I care about his daughter, though. Who's dead? Queen Gurutha, which was the queen's name, yelled from the other side of the great room. Oh, nobody. You keep hanging your fun tapestry, King Feng said with a grimace. She had been working on it for a year, and it was just a big, thick image of Amleth. She insisted on hanging it in the great hall, on specially forged hooks, that could support the weight. Fang thought it was just tacky, but what are you going to do? The queen insisted on a feast to celebrate finishing the tapestry, and the king agreed with a sigh. Sure, whatever. That night, there was a pounding, and with a kick, Amleth came striding in, banging on tables and beams with his two wooden sticks. It was weird being back, resuming his role as a madman, But he did get back into it. It was like slipping on a glove. A smelly, feces-smeared glove. The king shot up. What What was he doing here? Amleth said he had returned from Britain. Fang asked about the two attendants that had gone with him. About the message. Amleth held up the two sticks. The hollow sticks that had been filled with gold. The weargild. Here were the two attendants. Everyone rolled their eyes. And once again, the story is sure to tell us that he's not lying, because the sticks contain the gold that paid for the price of the lives of the two men. I do not see why it's so important that Amleth doesn't lie to a murderer trying to murder him, but it is. Amleth said that the king of Britain sent his gifts. The servants poured in with the strongest wine any of them would ever taste. In fact, it was so strong that by early morning all of Feng's courtiers couldn't even stand. They were completely out, so far gone that they didn't hear Amleth get the ladder, climb up to the top of his mother's tapestry, and cut it loose. He moved the tapestry until his massive face covered all of them, and then he pried the nails from the wall. Whistling as he worked, he pounded a nail on the floor every foot or so, completely encasing Feng's warriors and courtiers, all the people who had stayed on, After the death of Amleth's father, they were all wrapped in the thick blanket. Amleth then kicked over a lantern and went to go see his uncle. King Feng smelled the smoke first and then opened his eyes to see him, Amleth, standing by his bed. You have to answer for my father, Feng, Amleth said, his sword drawn. Feng sat up in bed, eyes narrowed. He knew it! He knew Amleth wasn't mad! Amleth held up his weapon, asking Feng if he recognized the sword, the one Amleth extracted from his father's tomb. Did his father draw it in defense, or did he trust his own brother? Feng swallowed hard the screams of the trapped men starting to rise in the main room. Amleth nodded. That's what he thought. Well, Amleth said he was an honorable man. He would give Feng the chance that Feng never gave his father. Amleth told his uncle to rise and draw his sword, quickly, before the house came down around them. Feng sneered. He was an expert swordsman. This kid, Amleth, had spent the past couple of years rolling in the muck, spouting gibberish. Amleth didn't stand a chance. Feng gripped the scabbard of the sword he kept by his bedside, grabbed the handle, and drew it. Or tried to. He glanced at Amleth, then to the sword. This, well, this was embarrassing. This, this never happened to him. Why wasn't this thing coming out? Oh, yeah, I nailed your sword to your scabbard tonight while you are out drinking, Amleth laughed. Oh, did you think I was going to fight you After I already won? Please. Amleth stabbed his bewildered uncle in the heart and fled the burning house. His uncle was dead. His closest supporters were burning alive in an Amleth blanket burrito. Amleth's father had finally been avenged. We have a little bit of an epilogue, but this is actually a pretty good end to the story. The central conflict has been resolved. Amleth has avenged his father, and will become king of Denmark in his own right, because everything at the banquet wasn't coated in poison. Like I said, there is a lengthy epilogue though. Amleth lied low, to figure out which way the wind was blowing, in regard to the king's stabbing, when the king was discovered not burned, but stabbed. Like the last time, the people apparently didn't care very much. So Amleth took credit, and declared himself king. He returned to Britain to pick up his wife, because oh yeah, he's married, and that's where he found his father-in-law in in a sticky situation. You see, the King of Britain and Feng entered into something kind of like a death pact, where if one of them was murdered, the other would avenge him. The King of Britain went back and forth, but eventually landed on staying true to the dead murderer king, over a son-in-law, a living murderer king. But like Feng, he didn't want to get his hands dirty, so he set Amleth on a trip up north to woo a Scottish queen, even though he was already married to the Princess of Britain. Previously, back in Denmark, Amleth had a shield made that told his entire story, like the entire thing. It was like a comic book storyboard that somehow conveyed the granular details of the cutting, boiling, and distribution of not Polonius, the whole thing in the woods with a broken ship and the ham sea, his mom's tapestry, the nailed sword, everything. It must have been massive. But it was stolen by the Scottish Queen, who was apparently okay with revenge murders and years spent in poop-stained rage. And, as opposed to killing him immediately, like she did to all of her potential suitors, she agreed to marry him. When Amleth returned to the King of Britain, wife number two on his arm, wife number one met him, saying that despite him replacing her, she couldn't stay mad at him. Also, her dad was going to stab him literally the minute he walked in the door. Amleth put on a chainmail shirt to give the king a chance to betray him. And when the rings stopped the king's dagger, Amleth shook his head and escaped off into the night. Because portions of the story hinge on there just being vast fields of unburied bodies in Britain at this time, Amleth dragged a few hundred of them into the field outside of the king of Britain's castle and propped them up on sticks. In the night, the men looked out Saw an army arrayed against them, and the king of Britain's warriors' courage left them. They fled, and the castle was taken by a small force that Amleth had brought from Denmark. Amleth killed his father in law, took the spoils, his now two wives, and went back to Denmark, where, after all he had survived, he died in a random battle against a rival king, thus ending his story. Today's story came from Saxo Grammaticus, a 13th century writer who preserved the earliest version. There was another one that greatly expanded on the legend and added the hero's melancholy. We don't know if Hamlet was based upon this one or a different earlier version of Hamlet that might have been by a different playwright but could have also been by Shakespeare. I know this is heretical for an English major to say, but as with most things regarding the authorship of Shakespeare's works, I truly, deeply do not care. Next week, we're back in Russian folklore with a dragon slayer and everyone's favorite witch, Baba Aga. Well, I mean, everyone's favorite witch unless you've actually seen her and been invited to her house. Then she's absolutely terrifying. The creature this week is the Wapentier from Hebrew folklore. The Wapentier has a sad little life. In Hebrew legend, there's a giant bird, the Ziz, Z-I-Z, who is so big, it fills up the sky. It's like the leviathan of birds. Well, it has a child that it just... left. And that child hatched, and became the Wapentier. Being the only one of its kind, the Wapentier is a truly sad creature. It doesn't want to preen its feathers or speak, it can talk, it just has no one to talk to. Like its parent, Disease. its wings stretch to fill out the entire sky, but unlike disease, it actually stretches beyond the sky, meaning the wapentier can't even fly. So it just sits forever on a desolate crag. You might be wondering is the wapentier male or female? And if so, why are there no other male or female wapentiers? The answer to that question is yes. If that's confusing, well, so is the wapentier, who is actually both sexes. The legends say that, like a male bird, the Wapinteer will hunt, kill, and eat. Which is all the more impressive, because the creature can't fly, given its impossibly long wings. After eating its fill, it will get excited, proceed to lay an egg. It waits with excitement every time, but every time, the egg fails to hatch. Such is the life of the saddest creature of the week. I mean, the squonk literally dissolves into a pile of its own tears, but this one might have it beat. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.